Hello there, I'm Paul Church, I'm the director of the Anemo Group and your host of Talent and Growth, the podcast dedicated to all things talent attraction and retention. And today I'm joined by Leia Esterat Kavala. Uh, Leia is the Global Human Resources Director for Reckitt. Um, and today we're talking about how to create a more diverse and inclusive business. Um, so really, really a key topic, um, lots of takeaways here from Leia. Hope you enjoy it. And please do like and subscribe uh, this episode in our podcast series. It really does help us. Hope you enjoy it. Leia, welcome to Talent and Growth. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, thank you. And you? Really good, thanks. Really good. It's great to have you here. And I think, look, a great place for us to start, as always, would be, if you wouldn't mind just giving us a bit of insight into your career, your background and your journey and what you do now. Definitely. First of all, thank you for the invite, Paul. A pleasure to be here today. So a little bit about me. So my name is Laia Sturak. I'm currently the HR Director for Global Functions, our corporate organization in Reckitt. I grew up in a small town back in Catalonia in Spain, and I have uh, studied business and then went to an international career. I started in Reckitt nine years ago. I've been in the UK, Germany, Netherlands, and currently, yeah, looking after the our Netherlands office, our headquarters here in Hygiene, and looking to grow the career further. And I'm super passionate about diversity and inclusion, and especially empowering young women to become leaders. Fantastic. Look, of course, let's crack on with the topic today. So, I mean, diversity in the workplace is such a big drive for businesses right now. Um, and which is a great thing, you know, it's, it's, it's in conversations in boardrooms and at the highest level. How much further do you think we need to go on this drive to get where we need to get to? Yeah, that's a good question. I think if we can, I would say we can say it louder, but not clearer. The need for diversity and inclusive and inclusion is an imperative. There's so much research showing how much we need and how beneficial is it, not only from uh, creating a better culture, but for pure business results. So how much farther do we need to go? I would say we need to go to a place that we represent our consumer base, our society. And at the moment, if you look into our organization, especially in the boards, we are not there yet. So still, um, what was recently, I think it was like a month or two months ago here in the Netherlands, there was a campaign showing that there are more CEOs named Peter than actually female CEOs. So this shows you a little bit how much farther we need to still to go just for a simple one name and ruling 50% of our population. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a hell of a stat, isn't it? Um, there's more CEOs called Peter. And I think it's a, good, it's a good point in terms of the consumer side because obviously we're developing, businesses are developing products uh, for such a diverse pool of buyers, but of course, uh, the people making those decisions are typically the white middle-aged uh, men, maybe called Peter. Correct. And then are we really satisfying the consumer needs if we don't understand fully them? That's why we for, it's a business imperative to actually understand and have these people part of uh, developing these products. Absolutely. So how, how have Reckitt uh, worked on driving the diversity levels of their teams? Yeah, it's been a journey. So we started back in 2015 now with our DARE program, which was the objective to develop, attract, retain, and engage women. So at the time, we started focusing on women. 
And I always say we're still the biggest majority with 50% of the population. And the focus on that with the DARE program is starting to support and bring on the journey with the women from the beginning to the whole career and a holistic approach. And in parallel, we created some trainings around conscious bias and creating awareness throughout the organization on the importance that we need to be aware of our own biases and how important is the micro messaging. So little messages that asking uh, the only female in the room to take notes, for example, it's how the ripple effect that this micro messaging has for uh, the whole organization. So that was the first step. Has it changed completely game now? Therefore, we have been evolving. And now through, I think it was already last year, and we made a commitment that by 2030, we want 50-50 and split all levels of the organization. And we see that, of course, the bottom is not a problem. It's in the middle management and above. We have the biggest work to do. But this is only on the diversity, on the part of numbers. The biggest other part to work on is on the inclusion. And we have we are trying on the tackling the inclusion part on three angles. The first one is a conscious inclusion. So moving a little bit from the wording of unconscious bias to conscious inclusion, but equally having some trainings top down, having engagement top down, and then at the same time having a bottom up approach with our employee resource group. And we are creating the third point, a wider focus on minorities. It's not only um, on the gender, but there are other minorities that need to be tackled. And we have created recently an employee research group on LGBTQ+, ethnicity, and the latest we launched was on disability. So in general, so there will be these two angles on the diversity part with the numbers and how we are getting to our commitment of 2030 of 50-50. And then on the inclusion bit with different trainings, employee resource group, and just from both angles, bottom up and top down. Fantastic, and of course, the the foundation for um, having a diverse business and attracting uh, diverse talent is, of course, creating a culture of inclusion. So, how how do we go about doing that? How do we get that right? Yeah, and it's the biggest piece of the puzzle, if you ask me. I think the diversity inverted commas is the easiest part. Is you get the people in, you get the numbers in, but they are creating the right culture where everyone can thrive and be at their best. It's the biggest challenge. So the first step um, that we did is this changing of the wording and the messaging around from unconscious bias to conscious inclusion. And it's not a matter of semantics. It's a matter of passive versus active. On the unconscious bias piece, you're it's a, you're a passive member on the conscious inclusion, you actually need to include and be consciously acting upon the inclusion part. So that's a huge mind shift in order to create the right culture and giving empowerment that all of us have a role to play on creating the right culture where everyone can be their authentic self and they can be whoever they want and whoever they are. So we've done that through different layers of trainings and empowering it like different members of the organization and creating conversations where everyone has a seat. And we call it the Stronger Together series, where we mean that we are all stronger when we are together. And we it's a diversity of topics we have from every time a different one. And the latest one was on the disability topic. And people just share their personal stories and it has a huge ripple effect of people like connecting, empathizing 
and knowing how we can get all behind that. And then the last point is calling out behavior. So this part of the being active in the process, just knowing when things are not right and being courageous to call them out. So I'd say these are the three main things of so the training on the conscious inclusion, moving on the active membership. Then we have the Stronger Together series and making sure that we call out the behaviors when they are not correct. That's great. I think there's some really good advice there. And, and, and what about um, how can a business go from changing uh, the language from unconscious bias to conscious inclusion? Yeah, um, I think it is a change management. Um, and like any change, it takes uh, we need to take the people on board and understand why. I think the biggest part is why are we changing? And giving them the perspective that they have a role to play. We all have a role to play. And therefore, the conscious inclusion is giving us this ownership and this accountability even. We have to do something, all of us, wherever we sit in the organization, whatever is our background, we have a role to play. So I think it's important to explaining why and what is the role of each of us have to play in this. And how, how has a business like Reckitt um, gone about I suppose, I suppose putting together these plans, you know, how have you strategized around what, what needs to be done around creating an inclusive culture or how has that worked? So the first part of it, it's always data. So understanding where are we and where do we want to be? And so where are we is understanding what is our stats at the moment? What is our purely diversity and what is the culture through our employee survey. So it gives us a bit of a feeling. How are we tracking? So once we know what is the current picture, then where do we want to be? And with that, we it's defining how to get from A to B, what is the pathway to get us there. And from us, uh, the biggest part is defining, we started with defining a board, an inclusion board at a company level with our senior management team being part of that board and dividing them by pillars uh, based on where we are, where we want to be, the priorities where we want to tackle, being, for example, leadership, being partnership. So it's not only around record, but what is our environment? What are our partners? How are they being inclusive? What is their diversity? So there's different pillars throughout. And then the end result for us, we have a target, we have this 2030, that it, it's a horizon to get to our North Star that we need to get towards to. So this will be kind of as defining where we are, where we want to be, and how do we get this path throughout. And this, this inclusion uh, committee or inclusion board, how, how, does it, how is it run? Who's it made up of? Obviously the board are on it, but who's made, and how, and how often do, do they meet? Yeah, so the inclusion board, is um, leader, uh, the main leader of the inclusion board is our CEO, but then we have as well our CHRO and our head of diversity and inclusion. And then each of the pillars, we have different senior leaders on them. And part of, most of them are part of our, um, our total company board. Then these are the main um, definition of our inclusion uh, global inclusion board, what we have done is replicate that at local level. So we have um, suggested to each of the markets to have a local inclusion board, which having led it up by uh, the general manager for each of the countries, and then a group of the different organizations. And then the local employee resource group, they build up and they, the representative of each of them are part of it. 
So then you have both the leadership as well as the representative of the employees group together working on what is relevant for each of the market. And then at a global level, they are driving these six pillars. So it's both from a global perspective as well as a local implementation. Fantastic. That sounds great. And you mentioned data, the use of data earlier on is so important. So how should we be using our data? What data should we be tracking to, to, to manage and drive our diversity levels? That's a very good question. I believe that we cannot change what we cannot measure. So therefore, we need the data. We need to know the facts and where we are, where we want to be. Having said that, there is a huge sensitivity with data on diversity and we need to treat it very carefully and be compliant with our GDPR and all the compliance needs for that. So how do, should we use it? I believe we should always ask for permission. We should follow the right guidance from our compliance teams in order to ask the right questions, store it the right way and of course anonymize it and aggregate the data so we can never associate it with individual preferences. So we are managing and treating employees right away. And equally important, I think, is the communication to employees on why do we ask the data and how are we going to use this data for and what is the implication of us having this information, like what is the purpose, how it will help us to improve for, for, further. So I believe one of the easiest, inverted comma, uses of data is ensuring that we have balanced slates so meaning that whenever we hire a new candidate, we have a new role, we have 50-50% of a both gender or whatever minority we want to focus on or all the minorities, so they have a fair chance. So that would be for me the usage of data, being super careful on how we use us for data and equally throughout our different processes like the hiring, having leveraging data to make the right decisions and giving the right chance. Is there any particular software you're using which, which makes your life easier? We do have um, some, so let me step back. From our reporting of the data, it's a process we are currently undergoing and it is very sensitive because of the different countries have different legislation and at a global scale, we need to be compliant on all countries. So this is an ongoing project we are trying to release. We are using our People soft, if you want, the, um, in our case, it's called our MyRB, where we save and we manage that data. From a hiring perspective, we have different tools that help us on the hiring process, and then it just records as well the data stats and, and how we are getting short of the balance slates. But it's more integrated on our own systems at the specific software. Fantastic, okay, makes sense. And how can we ensure our business maintains a culture of transformation? Yeah, that's another good question. Um, it is important to have a growth mindset and transformation is an enabler to keep growing. Having said that, I think it is very important to manage the change management and be super open, transparent, and back to the why, and giving people the reason, why are we transforming? Why is it important? Why? We, is it beneficial for each of you as individuals, as an employees? So, and take people in the journey, uh, understanding, uh, it's appealing a little bit to their heads and their heart um, and making them part of the journey, part of the solution and being transparent as much as you can throughout the process. 
And sometimes I would add the last point is the creating the sense of urgency. Why do we need this change? And how can they enable this change? And what, it ha what does it happen if this change doesn't take place? So that's for me, the, this kind of creating this ownership, this culture of transformation throughout our organization. Fantastic. And in terms of employer branding, uh, what must businesses do to make sure they appeal to a more diverse set of talent? I think they need to change some things in order to be um, more attractive, um, including generation. So we're starting with generation. New generations see the ads in a different way or the application in a different way that we did before. And one of the things I've seen that in generation values, the generation Z, more is the authenticity. So for them, actions speak louder than words. So knowing what you do with your report, how you spend your money, what do you do with your profit, um, what do you do for sustainability perspective, you take care of your communities is very important. So sometimes it's not like doing a specific targeted employer branding campaign, but it's this consistent approach of how you deal with your business would be one. The second is um, being more transparent as well on what do you do with the diversity and inclusion, but as well, how do you attract and post job profiles that are in an inclusive language? It's very interesting. We did a study um, that how many people apply to a job when it's written in a different way. And you can see the rage change massively, only changing few words. So it's super important, the power of words and being very conscious if you are in the talent acquisition team to write the job descriptions, to write the adverts in a way that attracts all type of profiles. And it's not all the standard wording that's been used in the past. So it's be conscious about that. And I would say the last, and I think the strongest um, part is the role modeling. People see that you have other examples in the organization that they are in these roles or they are um, very senior in the organization and they look like me, people will apply. They want to be part of the journey. Whenever it looks like me, we have an affinity bias that we want to be part of them. So it's just supporting them to be part of that. And one of the mechanisms, for example, we use is recruiting from different universities. Even in our graduates, we typically you tend to go to the same universities. How do you map out a wider profile? And in some countries like in Brazil, it's getting people with disadvantaged backgrounds. They might not have the entry levels that you need from even from an English perspective, but what are the different tools that you can provide in order to make them into that level? And the team in Brazil, for example, in other countries is doing an amazing work to bridge this level and have a diverse entry pool from our company as well. So then uh, there will be the three elements for me that in terms of being authentic, what does their company do? How they attract talent? Writing the, being more inclusive on your definition and writing your specs and then role modeling. And finally, I suppose, what about um, the interview processes themselves when it comes to attracting people? How do we make sure that our interview processes are inclusive uh, and we're not losing people along the, on the longer journey? Yeah, I think on that one is ensuring that you train your interviewee, interviewers the right way and being inclusive and they should have a formalized interview process. So everyone goes through the same experience and we have the same 
we don't di differentiate because if we differentiate on the interview process, we have a different outcome. So I would say there are the two tools. And of course, nowadays we use some of the software for the initial part of the process to make sure that it's less biased. But even when the last part, when you meet the candidates, making sure that the interviewers, our employees in the company are trained and able to be aware of their own um, bias and being consciously inclusive throughout the process. Fantastic. Well, Leila, I really appreciate you sharing all of this today. I'm sure people may want to reach out to you and connect and talk about diversity or inclusion or anything else. What's the best way for them to do so? Definitely. I'm super passionate around the topic, so feel free at any time to connect. Of course, LinkedIn, I think it's the best way nowadays. So in my profile, I'm sure we can put it as well and share it. It's Laia Storak, and then it will be super a pleasure to get in touch. Thank you so much, Paul, for the great discussion. Pleasure. Thanks so much for being a part of Talent and Growth. Really appreciate it.